And so that's where we're going to start this morning. We're going to start in um, Matthew chapter 14, verse 24. But the boat was by this time on the sea, and I'm reading from the um, Amplified Version. But the boat was by this time on the sea, and the situation here is that Jesus has left his disciples, gone to a mountain to pray, because they have just, uh, all the crowds have initiated to Christ that he would be, that they would make him king. And so he goes off to pray, and his disciples are kind of um, on their way to meet Jesus on the other side of the sea, which is the Galilee Sea. And it says here that the boat was by this time out on the sea many furlongs. A furlong was about one-eighth of a mile. So it's probably in the middle of the Galilee Sea. Beaten and tossed by the waves, for the wind was against them. So there, in the Greek, it points to the ship is moving in the direction to meet Christ on the other side of the sea. And this is not a sea in the sense of like the Atlantic Ocean that we would describe as a sea, but this is a large, large body of water. And there would be at times very turbulent weather. And so Jesus is on the other side. The disciples are on their way to him. And I think that many times in our life, we have this sense of pursuit of Christ. And uh, we can see all of the things going on around uh, Christ and around the world on a macro level. People have these concepts of Christ, of making him some great political leader. But the disciples really just want to follow him intimately. And so they are in a direction in their life. And we also, as believers, are in a direction in our life. We are moving forward in that direction towards Christ. And it's kind of like we almost really don't know what we're doing in one sense, right? We're in this ship. We're going across the sea. You know, we're in this direction. We kind of don't know where's Jesus. We don't know sometimes about his plan. One time I asked a pastor, um, years ago, I said, is there ever a time in your life that you feel 100% sure of the will of God? And he thought for a moment, and he said, no. And he said, that's why it's called faith, because we got to put our trust in Jesus Christ. And so they're on their way, and the sea begins to become turbulent, for the wind was against them. And this is what it is exactly happening. The wind is actually blowing against the ship. And wind in the Bible always talks about the atmospheric activity. You know, that unseen atmospheric pressure that you can feel that is spiritual. You know what I'm talking about? The oppression, um, the projections that come from the atmosphere to us. When we are in the middle of the sea on the way to that meeting with Jesus Christ that we've dreamed and that we've thought about. And so we can find ourselves many times in many different ways, in the middle of the sea, and the wind is against them. And we can feel that sometimes, can't we? We can feel the wind is against me. <laughs> you ever feel that way? You know, we had car troubles this week. I've heard a bunch of other people have had car troubles this week, right? Um, and both cars. And uh, I mean, we were on our way downtown to Houston for a meeting. Um, what morning was it? I don't remember what morning it was. Tuesday. Tuesday. We're driving along and, and um, driving my wife's car, and then we just 
it felt like we hit a brick wall or something. I mean, it was the car jolted so bad. It was such a, it was like a, it was like a slamming sound. The whole car just jolted. And it was just this, it was more than just a flat tire. You could just, felt like the tire was just gonna come right off the front left of the car. So we just barely get over to the emergency lane. I get out and the wheel is destroyed. I mean, the wheel is totally destroyed. And I look behind, I said, what did we hit? And off to the side of the road is like this triangular rock about that big, sitting in the, in the, in the emergency lane like it had just rolled there. And so the, the Mercedes-Benz uh, roadside assistance came and the guy was like, I've never seen anything like this before. He's like, he's the first time I've ever seen this much damage done on a tire, on a wheel. What had happened was that the, the, the rock had gone through the tire through the wall, the inner wall, the metal wall of the wheel, and just bounced around and ripped up the wheel. And uh, we have a picture of it. So we got it to the Mercedes-Benz, and the guy at Mercedes-Benz was like, I want to thank you. I go, for what? And he says, for letting me see this much damage for the first time in my life on a tire. I was like, wow, we have a little wind blowing against us, you know? And that's all it is. It's just wind. It's just wind. Don't, Don't be, you know, I thought as we were driving down there, we got the we got, the, we got down there, we got the tire changed. I thought, is that all the devil can do, you know? And, you know, and most of the time, trials in our life are psychological. That's the biggest tough, that's the biggest toughness about trials. It's psychological. It really is. And so the wind is against them. And in verse 25, and in the fourth watch between 3 and 6 a.m., which is of the night, Jesus comes to them walking on the scene. I don't know if you've ever done anything between 3 and 6 a.m., but that's really a tough part of the day, isn't it? Like, I used to work at night, and between 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. is really a hard time where, you know, you're just, your body's wanting to go to sleep, and it's just dark, everybody's asleep, nothing is, you know, stirring, and it's a very, like, it's a very um, dark time, even mentally, and Jesus comes to them on the sea. There's no explanation there at all. It's just Jesus, when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, Jesus is coming to them on the sea. So imagine this, this storm. I don't know if you've been in a ship before where there's a storm or in a, a plane or something and there's a storm. I'm sure April has. Uh, and the, and the, 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 the ship is being tossed. Jesus is walking on the water. That's really amazing because it's just so simple to describe that Jesus is walking on the sea. When God does things in our, in our life, when God is moving, it's just very simple, and there's not a lot of explanations. Jesus is just walking on the sea. And they saw him in verse 28, and they were terrified and said, it's a ghost. Now, why did they say that? And they screamed with fright. Why did they say it's a ghost? Because... Here they don't recognize the nature of God. They don't recognize Jesus Christ. They don't recognize that a, a miracle is in the process. They are so they are in such a, such a state of I don't even know if their disciples themselves were even worried about the sea. We don't see that the disciples were worried about the weather. In other circumstances in the gospels we see that they were afraid for their lives. Here they don't we don't read that they were. And so Maybe they are just so, working so hard in such a difficult circumstance that they see this man walking on the water and they scream in fright. Whenever we drift from 
our focus on God, a miracle in our life could actually look very scary. And we could actually scream with fright. We could say, I don't want this. I don't know. And it could actually be such a great miracle in disguise. Because, you know, it says in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 17, it says that they that trust in themselves or they they trust in their own heart, they don't see the good or the grace of God when it comes. And so the disciples here don't recognize Christ. They They say it's a ghost. And it's actually something that, they feel like, okay, they are, they are under the, the, the influence of projections, atmospheric weirdness, feeling strange, uh, wondering what's going on. What are we doing in the middle of this water? The wind is against us. And then Jesus appears to them, and they are actually, they think it's something demonic. They think it's a ghost. And they screamed out with fright. And it says here in verse 27, but instantly he spoke to them. I love that, because whenever we lose it... <laughs> Whenever we lose it and we're screaming with fright, maybe we're not screaming out loud, but in our minds we're screaming with fright, uh, Jesus instantly speaks. And he said, take courage, I am. Stop being afraid. Three things, he says. Take courage. That means, guys, you've got to go grab a hold of courage. Courage is there, just grab it. It's with you. It's next to you in Hebrew. In Romans chapter 10, verse 17, the word is nigh unto us, even in our own mouth. Take hold of courage. And then the second thing he says, I am. I am. I am. Isn't that amazing? It's like, you know, it's not like I'm going to be or everything's going to be fine or, um, hey, don't you remember yesterday how great that was? Jesus is talking to them in the present tense. Jesus is talking to them about being with them in the present tense presently i am and in the english language there's no better way to say that i am it's just i am this is the same thing that god said to moses when moses was so upset with himself so disappointed in himself so discouraged as a man you know think of moses i mean think of moses's male self-image he was destroyed he had failed so many times he had he was living in a state of failure a cyclic failure, and he just gave up in his life. He became very passive. And I think this can happen to men and women as well. We get passive, and we just say, God, I'm just, I'm throwing in the towel. It's over. My days are past, and God could never do anything in my life. But Jesus, God says to Moses at the burning bush, I am, I am. And then the third thing he says, stop being afraid. Fear not. It says in the King James, fear not. That's a command. Do you ever hear the Holy Spirit speak to you in the command form? Fear not. That's amazing. Like, I remember I was in Poland, and uh, right at the beginning of the ministry there, I wasn't the pastor, but I was on the team, and we were doing outreach, and I thought, you know, is this going to ever happen? You know, it just felt like it was dragging, and we had like a small group. We were meeting in in an apartment, and I just saw, is this... You know, and I just was kind of starting to get like in my mind pessimistic or negative. And I remember the Holy Spirit just yelling at me, literally saying um, in, in what, what Paul says to Timothy, he said, um, uh, take courage, quit ye like men, gird yourself up and trust me. And I just remember the Holy Spirit saying, um, uh, receive grace and move forward. 
And I remember the, how encouraging that was. And this is what Jesus is saying to the disciples. Stop being afraid. Now, imagine the scene. I don't know how the disciples were hearing what Jesus was saying, if there was such a storm. Uh, this is so unique. There's so many factors here that the Bible doesn't go into. But very simply, that Jesus is speaking. And Peter, in verse 28, said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come up to you on the water. I love Peter. Peter is so outside of the box. And I think that's why Jesus had him as the main disciple. You'll find that God doesn't use people that are just living within the box. God's going to use people that are stepping out of the box, that just cause discomfort, that, that are always like, you know, that, that, that put the fire under everybody's pants. God's going to use the person that's just thinking outside of the box, that's thinking radically, that's thinking crazy. Now, Jesus didn't, Jesus didn't say to Peter, come out to me to meet me in the water first. Peter said that to Jesus. Because what happened, Peter was, as we know in Matthew 16, in two chapters later, is living in spiritual revelation. He's living in uh, divine rhema. He's living in a spirit-taught Christianity where God is speaking to Peter about who Jesus is. And so when Peter sees this Jesus, he's like, call me, I want to do what you're doing. <laughs> you ever see someone doing something and you're like, I want to do that. And I think that's what it was for me like when I, when I, was, uh, when I went out to be a missionary and when we went overseas, I saw other people doing it. I just saw them walking on the water in their life and seeing what God d is doing in, in a new church plant anywhere. And you look at people like that and you're thinking, wow, I want to do that. There's something in me that wants to do that. And so, so Peter says, call me out. And Peter's already smart enough to not assume, but he says, call me out. It's one of my favorite portions of scripture. And I read about, I think about this and I read this a lot. Peter walks out <clears throat> onto the water and he's just not walking around the water aimlessly without direction. It says here in the Amplified that he's walking toward Jesus. And whenever we step out of our boat, whenever we step out of our career, you know, the boat can be our career. It can be our personality. It can be uh, the system. It could be the obvious, like, of course, you're not going. To, we are in a boat because we don't want to sink, right? You don't fish without a boat. Where are you going to put the fish, even if you could swim? We're in a boat because that's the logical thing to do. That's the way logical people think. That's the way our careers go. That's the way, that's the way our lives go. That's the way the family goes. That's the way the system is. You're in a boat. You don't get out of the boat. You stay in the boat, especially with the sea the way it is, no matter what Jesus is doing. You can just worship Jesus in the boat. <laughs> Let's all worship Jesus in the boat. Raise our hands and sing to Jesus why he's on the sea and I'm in the boat. But Peter says, there's something in Peter that Jesus loves, and that's Hebrews 11, verse 6. Faith pleases God. And this is something that, you know, what pleases God? Um, faith. When you and I just trust God, that pleases God. I think sometimes we are all wrapped up thinking about what can I do to please God today? Well, I can walk an old lady across the street. I can give money to the poor. I can, I can do this. I can do that. You know, I can, I can whatever, whatever our religious value system is that we have in the flesh, that doesn't please God. Faith pleases God. And so Peter steps out of the boat in verse 29 and walks on the water and he came toward Jesus. And when he had perceived and felt the strong wind, and that's verse 30, 
Peter stops living in his spirit and in his faith, and he begins to live in the sphere of his soul. Remember we talked about a few weeks ago, there's that circle of perception, which is our soul, which is our five senses, which is what we can see, touch, feel, hear, smell, experience. Peter begins to, verse 30, begins to live in his soul. He stops living in faith, and he stops living in spiritual conviction and spiritual revelation in Matthew 16, where the Father's revealing things to him, and he starts to perceive and feel the strong wind. You know, we, we can live in the strong, we can feel the strong wind. It's there. <laughs> it's there. And sometimes it's very strong. Sometimes the wind can be unbelievably strong. And he was frightened. And as he began to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me from death. And I like this because the issue here is not... Peter sinking, but the issue is him crying out to the Lord. And instantly, again, that we see this word again, instantly Jesus reached out his hand and caught him and held him. So we don't know how far Peter gets out to Jesus. We don't know how far he gets to him. But it sounds like that Jesus is like just a couple feet away from Peter when he starts to sink. And it could have been that Jesus is like, what's an arm? Well, you know, they say if you stretch your arms out, that's how tall you are, right? From finger to finger. Did you know that? That's true. Generally, it's true. That you are as tall as you are when you stretch your hands out from finger to finger. Generally, that's true. So if I'm six foot, six foot one, then my, my, um, my hand length is going to be, what, three? About a little bit more than three feet, right? So Jesus is, they're probably shorter. So Jesus was probably two and a half feet from from Peter, which is what, like that, right? This far, <laughs> Peter is from Jesus. And then he starts looking at the winds and the rain and the, and the boisterous ocean, and he begins to sink. And I think that that is when we sink, is when we are so close to Christ, so close to that moment of victory, that moment where we see Christ grapple a hold of us, that we begin to sink. It's when you know, we can cross the sea that could be very boisterous and very, um, uh, very, very violent. And we can kind of go through it, but it's usually right before that moment where we get to that point where Jesus is going to, where we're going to meet Jesus in the situation. And that's when we begin to sink. Jesus instantly reaches out his hand, catches him, says to him, O ye of little faith. Remember that word, little, what we talked about? It didn't mean that that Peter had little by way of um, quantity. The word that's used in these verses when Jesus says little faith means short faith. It means faith that doesn't see very far. It It means that it's great, perfect faith, but it doesn't see very far because of the circumstances that are around us. We are creatures of sight and sound. And we get overcome by what we see. The soul of a man which has a downward pull towards our old sin nature, towards the dust of the earth, is that part of us that's bound to the the world that we live in. Bound to that system that we live in. Bound to that way of thinking that we are so used to. That culture that that we have been brought up in. That culture that we live in. that, That culture of what is proper and what is not proper, the way we do things, the culture of the boat. And that's where the soul resides. But the spirit of a, of a man that's quickened by the Holy Spirit 
is that part of us that is not bound to the boat. And he said, why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? And it's, there's no condemnation there. Jesus is making a point to Peter. And I just want to make a couple points before I finish here. We have the idea that God rewards our faith. Okay? And it may be so in the initial stages. But we don't earn anything through faith. Faith brings us to the right relationship with God and gives him his opportunity to work. And so what I'm saying here is, is that because we can live so easily in our soul, we look at faith as quantitative. How much faith do I have? But that's not the way God thinks. God looks at faith as a seed. It's either there or it's not. It's binary. It's either on or it's off. And if it's on, even though it may feel weak, it's enough faith. Faith is not something that we use like currency in the world that we live in. Faith is something that brings us to the right relationship with God. As long as Peter is looking at Jesus on the water, he's in a right relationship, and it doesn't matter what's going on with the storm. Because as Jesus saves Peter, or pulls him up, reaches down and pulls him up, the storm stops immediately. There's a song that I love, uh, old hymn, um, and I think actually the melody is the, the uh, national anthem for Finland, but I think it was written by Sibelius. Uh, the words, I don't know, I don't remember who wrote the words, but it's um, the old hymn, Be Still My Soul. Um, and it's probably some of the most beautiful words of a hymn, and part of it is the winds and wave. It says, Be still my soul, for the winds and the waves his voice still know. It's not beautiful that the winds and the waves still know the voice of Christ. And the idea that God rewards our faith can actually be a system of works. Trusting God through faith just brings us to that right relationship with God. Number two, God frequently has to knock the bottom out of our experience as his saint to get us to just connect with him. God sometimes has to has to take out the bottom or pull the rug from underneath us. Not because he wants to, because he's angry at us or because he doesn't love us. Whenever we enter into a trial, we always analyze ourselves. We get subjective, right? We're like, what did I do wrong? I said, I must have done something wrong. You know, the gods and the heavens must be angry at me. You know, whenever, you know, that's so pagan to stick in the way that kind of thinking is. But whenever we enter into a trial, we have to remember, don't get subjective. You know, don't get subjective. Because that's, that's what the devil wants us to do. He wants us to get self-aware, self-conscious, um, people conscious, um, situation conscious, money conscious, health conscious, items conscious. God has to break the bottom of our experiences to get us back into contact with himself. Because God wants us to get out, us outside of thinking of the system of things. To understand that life is a life of faith. You know, this world is based on a system. And with every system, there is a reaction. Because we live in, in a dichotomous world. There's system, and then there's reaction. There's politics, and then there's the reaction. There's culture, and there's counterculture. There is religion, and then there is paganism. We live in a, in a dichotomous world because the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is dichotomous. There's a good side and a bad side. But that's not where we reside in our faith. 
Peter started looking at the good side, the bad side. He started looking at what he could see, what he could feel, and he took his eyes off of Jesus Christ. God wants to God wants to challenge our experiences so that we just can learn to focus on Jesus Christ. Like in the morning when you wake up and you're just your brain is in the is in the is in the pit. You know, you're just so discouraged or you're just like what is, you know, you just feel bad. You just feel upset. Maybe you feel guilty. You don't even know why you feel guilty. Maybe you feel bad about yourself. Maybe there are these phantom emotions, like you know, these unseen emotions that are like bad food in the refrigerator. You don't know what it is, but it's just in there. <laughs> you go through your old refrigerator, and you can't find what's going bad in there, and you can just smell it. And it's like our soul. Stuff gets in our soul. We don't know how to deal with it. And it's there, and we open the fridge, and we're just going through the fridge. We're going through our soul. We can't figure out what is that smell, what is that depression, where is that coming from. But at that moment, we have to understand that we just need to look at Jesus Christ because we walk by faith and not by sight, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 7. You know, don't look at yourself. Don't look at the lack of faith. Don't look at the circumstances just have fun. And that's what I want to do here with us, you know, when we're doing this, you know, this ministry here. Uh, let's just have fun, you know, just enjoy ourselves. You know, where two or more are gathered, there's a church. So whether we become 500 people or we become five people, it does, for me, that's not the issue. For me, the issue is, is like, let's have the presence of God in our midst, right? Let's, let's enjoy the fellowship. Uh, let's enjoy the body life. I mean, many people that we've met here that are not from originally from our church, have said to us, um, one guy said to my wife and I a couple weeks ago, they, he said, it was so edifying to hear this, he said, um, he said, every time, this is my third time coming to your meeting, and I feel like this is what the first of church was like originally, because there's so much love here, faith, there's communion, everyone is who they are in, in, in Christ, and there's such a wide spectrum of people, you know? And I said, that is because it's by grace and it's not by works. And so faith by its very nature has to be tested and tried. The real trial of faith is not that we find it's difficult to trust God. Okay, that's not the real trial. The real trial is, is that God's character must be proven as something that we can trust in our minds. When our faith is on, the, when we feel like our faith is being tried, we can't get subjective about it. We can't look at our faith like, okay, I don't have enough faith here to stay on the water. I'm walking on the water, but I don't know if I have enough faith to do this. Well, let's answer, let's resolve that right now. No man has any faith to do anything for God. It's Galatians 2, 20 and 21. Faith in, by the faith of Jesus Christ. That's the faith in us, that we have this faith that's from Jesus Christ that supports us. And it's not my faith on trial in one sense. It's really God's nature that's on trial. Okay, so when you step out of the boat, it's not about your faith, how much faith you have. Because you're going to fail. <laughs> we're going to sink. And we could, we're going to be like just not even a meter from Jesus, and we're going to be sinking. That's just how much faith I have. I, for me, it's never about my faith, how much faith I have. Sometimes it is, but then God corrects us. It's about Jesus Christ and His nature that we can trust Him, and that we that He's trust proof. And God has to take us through these things because He sees, you know what, you're not necessarily trusting me in this situation, so I have to cause some 
disbalance or discomfort so that you can realize I am trustworthy in this and that I can be trusted. In closing, faith as the Bible teaches is faith in God coming against everything that contradicts Him. It's a faith that says, I'm going to trust God whatever He may do in my life, even if He kills me. And that's what Job said in Job 13, verse 15. Though He slay me, yet will I trust Him. You know, I, I think here in Texas and Houston, maybe it's everywhere in the United States, but I can really see here uh, that it's really about performance, isn't it? Like there's quotas that got to be met. You know, you got to you got to perform on your job. I've talked to a few people this week where, where like if you're not at a certain level in your job, then you may not get another job. Or if you're applying for a job, they want to see what levels you're at and what's your performance. And you know, even in some churches, I spoke with someone a few weeks ago that that came from another church, and they said. He said to me that when I was when I was um, leading small groups in my church, uh, I was I was asked often about the numbers. Like if the numbers were down, I'd be taken aside and I'd, I'd be I'd have a dis- there would be a discussion about how I can get the numbers up in my small group. And I said to him, I said that's like that is just you know that's God's business. That's not you or I because. Though he slay me, though though he slay me, we can trust him. And when we have this kind of attitude in our life that even if, you know, whatever happens in my life, I'm going to step out of the boat, I'm going to meet Jesus in the water because it's, it's more about me and Jesus Christ than it is me trying to um, accomplish something or to be something or to overcome something that I was. But it's about me and Jesus Christ. And though he slays us, we can trust him. And you know what? When we come to that point where we just surrender, and that's why I like that song what we sang this morning, like, you know, uh, I surrender. Like, when, when we surrender to God, there's just so much peace, and we're not striving. And then we can look at Jesus on the water and say, you know what? That's what I want to be doing. I want to be taking faith steps in my life. You know, first I want to hear the voice of God, and when I hear the voice of God, I want to act on it. I want to step out in faith. I want to go downtown and just, you know, meet these people down there and minister to them, you know, on Wednesday. And we're going to have a lot of other opportunities to do that. Um, you know, I want to take a step of faith in my life and and move somewhere where where God can move mightily in my life. You know, for us, all of us here, we've moved here, <laughs> except for Betty. Betty's always lived here, right? <laughs> Betty brought all. Betty's prayers brought us all here. <laughs> Keep praying, God's Betty. Love for Betty. God loved me so much. Amen. And when we look at it that way, then, then we can really see God work in our life because it's not how much, but it's really who we're looking at. And I just want to finish with that: that though He slays us, we can trust Him because with one word, the storm can stop. And let's just be occupied with Christ. Let's be occupied with Christ. Whenever the wind blows, we can feel the wind. Whenever we can feel the waves, the splash, the salty water in our mouth, at that moment, don't fear. I mean, fear is going to come, but take your emotions and your mind and your soul and drag it to the cross. That's what I do. I just drag everything to the cross. Okay, let's go to the cross. I don't understand why. Just drag it to the cross. 
I'm upset about this. I'm going to drag that to the cross. You know, this is not working out. I'm going to drag that to the cross. You know, I've been praying, 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 and this isn't working. I'm going to drag all that to the cross and just leave it at the cross and say, Jesus, I surrender all my stuff. And when we do that, then God can be the God of all our stuff. <laughs> it's no longer my stuff anymore. It's no longer my issues or my problems or my offenses, but it's now God's. And we can just experience that love at the cross because faithful as he who has called us, he will also do it. Amen? Amen. So let's close in prayer.